Welcome to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Callie O'Connor. I've gone from career burnout to taking multiple career breaks, scoring several remote jobs, and even starting my own business while traveling to over 80 countries. The one thing that held me back from starting sooner was that I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't aware that travel could become part of my lifestyle. Through this podcast, I'm so excited to share with you the travel possibilities that are out there for you. In season two, we're talking all about remote work. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm very excited to introduce my guest today to you. So Sarah Fearson is a passionate technologist. She works in sales for the RPA software company UiPath. And beyond her day job, she's very interested in how technology is changing the future of work and society. And she writes a regular column in the Three Quarks Daily blog on this subject. And we talk about it a little bit in this episode too, which is fascinating. She's also the co-author of the upcoming book, The Impromptu Game Plan, and the co-host of the podcast on the same subject with the same name. But the reason that Sarah is a guest on my podcast today, because we were talking about remote work during the pandemic, she made the decision to move to the country of Grenada and work remotely from there. So it's an awesome interview, and I would like to share it with you right now. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Travel Possibilities podcast. We have another fantastic, exciting interview episode for you today. This is a little bit different as my guest, Sarah, has relocated somewhere else. So without further ado, I'm going to let Sarah introduce herself, tell us a bit about her and what she does, and we will dive into her story. So Sarah, thanks for being here. My absolute pleasure. It's, it's lovely to be with everyone. So my name is Sarah Ferguson. Um, I'm originally from the UK. I've lived in the US. I had lived in the US for 30 years. So, so I've relocated a couple of times. Um, I work for a large software company in sales, but I also um, am in the process of writing a book. And uh, I have my own podcast called The Impromptu Game Plan. So, so I'm busy. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. So let's, this season's all about remote work. So let's dig a little bit more into your job. You're, you're yep. based in and New York City, correct? Well, I was based in New York City. Okay. So I was right. based in New York City for a long time. Okay. And um, I'm now domiciled out of Florida um, because New York is an expensive place to be domiciled out of. But I am spending hopefully most of my time in Grenada in the Caribbean. Okay, amazing. So tell us how you got from New York City to Grenada. Well, in some ways it was quite simple. Uh, <laughs> I fell in love with a Grenadian man. Mm -hmm. um, we were dating, he, he was also living in New York City. Um, we dated quite a few years, we moved in together. Um, and his dream was always when he retired to move back to Grenada. And his retirement was a little up in the air. And then um, COVID hit and lockdown hit. And he goes, you know what? I think I'm ready to go. And we had always discussed how much I would come with him, what that would really look like. Um, I have children who are now 19 and 21. But certainly when they were in high school, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to leave the country till they're out of high school. 
And while I was working remotely a lot, I was not officially working remotely and we still had a lot of in-person meetings. I did a lot of travel throughout the US and globally and I wasn't quite sure how that would work. So when we first talked about it, I sort of envisioned that maybe I would go back and forth to the States a lot and maybe have two weeks in one place, two weeks in the other. And then lockdown hit and work went remote and um, the world changed and suddenly it seemed like if I wanted to move down here, I could do that. And so that's what I did. Amazing. It's almost like things were lining up just the way you needed to them. Well, I hate to think a global pandemic was something that I would say, you know, worked in my favor. But I I will say there were some silver linings to this, at least for me. And, And one was that the remote work made me able to we actually got married now he's my husband to uh, join my husband down here and and spend most of my time on this beautiful place well congratulations and yeah it seems like many people are able to find the silver linings in something that's been so stressful and really horrible so I mean it's nice to be able to look for those things that have benefited us throughout the course of the past couple of years awesome so had you ever considered the possibility of like basing yourself somewhere else before the pandemic hit? Well, as I say, I mean, certainly with him um, planning to come back here at some point, it was a topic of conversation. Um, and also, you know, when I told people I was leaving the US and moving to another country, they were like, oh my God, I can't believe that. You're uprooting your whole life. I'm like, I've done this before. I moved to the US when I was 21 years old. I've, you know, this is, I know how to do this. I, and then I had no job, no money, no connections. I'm in a much better place now than I was uh, 33 years ago. Um, so I, I, I would say I've always considered myself a bit of a global citizen. Um, I've always loved to travel. I don't think I ever thought this is it. I'm living in New York to the day I die. I think there was always a part of me that thought at some point I'll go somewhere else. And certainly, I mean, I'm still a British citizen as well. So before Brexit, it crossed my mind. Could I live in France one day? Could I live in Italy one day? That unfortunately is now not a possibility. But, you know, I I, I would say that I've always been open to this concept. I just wasn't sure practically how it would work and, and what the stars have a line to mean that this really is something I could actually do. Yeah, that's really exciting. And so can you talk a bit more about like the setup of your company before the pandemic and how you said you worked remotely sometimes and you traveled a lot? What about your colleagues? What was the setup sort of like? So um, my company is headquartered in the U.S., but people, you know, all over the globe and certainly all over the U.S., um, did, I, did I say headquartered in the U.S.? It's headquartered. It is headquartered in the U.S., but it's actually headquartered in New York. Um, and however, no one in my team was in New York. Uh, my boss, then boss, wasn't in New York. My colleagues weren't in New York. So I had no real reason to go to the office. And we had we used to have quite an open plan office, and it, it was sort of loud. And I had to do a lot of phone calls all day. So I just it didn't really. And not quite frankly. Everyone was very young and I'm old and grumpy and I just didn't want to be in there you know, <laughs> with everyone playing foosball and, and doing whatever they were doing. Um, I know my husband says of me that, that my I'm, I'm get off my lawn. That, that's that's my phrase these days. Get off my lawn. Um, but anyway, but it was also I just didn't need to be there. So what I would say is I'd say to my boss, whenever you come to New York, let me know. I'll come in the office. Um, we did meetings both in New York and internationally and, and nationally. And so I, I was 
at home when I could be at home and when I didn't need to be, when I needed to be somewhere else, I was somewhere else. Um, and, you know, I, being a software company, it generally was always pretty flexible about that anyway. And I don't want to say that I couldn't have done this back then. I just think that in-person meetings were valued in a way that we've all maybe learned we can do without them as much as we used to do them. Um, and so I think back then it would have been practically a very hard thing for me to actually move to another country or for the most part be in another country. I think what lockdown gave us all, it certainly gave my company, I think it gave a lot of companies, was this reassurance that you could do most of your meetings via Zoom and not really lose anything. And if you had to do an occasional initial meet and greet in person. So, you know, we are now planning to do quarterly in-person meetings. And this is not because of me. It's because, you know, just I think everyone's realized you don't need to spend the money on travel, but companies used to spend on travel. And the idea that we could get together once a quarter and then the rest of the time do Zooms, I think works for the company. It works for the clients and it turns out it works for me. Perfect. And when you made the decision to move, did you have to receive special permission from your employer? Did you need to talk to them about it or are they? I, I did talk open? to them about it. I mean, honestly, everything's so remote, probably they wouldn't have noticed except that I'm warm when everyone else is freezing. But <laughs> as it happens, I did go to HR and I said, look, this is what I'm planning to do. And they said, well, you still need to be domiciled in the US for a US company. And I said, no, I want to keep my US health insurance. So I have no intention of, you know, giving up my citizenship. Um, and they said, you know, if you have to do domestic travel, you're going to need to bring yourself back to the US. We're not going to be paying for that. I said, that's perfectly reasonable. And then they said, then we don't care. And so they they sort of gave this, their blessing to this. And, and certainly, I mean, you know, I, I don't hide where I am. My boss knows where I am. Everyone knows where I am. Um, and I always say, if you need me to come back. You know, there are pretty regular flights back to the US. Let me know when I'll come back. <laughs> that's amazing. And like, I think it's probably just a weight off your shoulders. I know some people have used the pandemic to travel, but haven't been so upfront with their yeah. employers. And I can imagine that would be a little bit stressful. So it's probably nice to have just clear line of communication and be open and honest about it. Well, I, and I didn't want anyone to think, you know, I, I, I didn't want to set up a scenario where, where someone thought they could say to me, could you get on a flight this afternoon to, to you know, Austin and, I can't, I can't get on a flight this afternoon to Austin. There's only so many direct flights to the US from Grenada and they only go to so many places. So I, I wanted to be really upfront. So everyone knew, look, I can get back with a couple of days notice, but I can't get back with, you know, a few hours notice. And so it, it just seemed like, apart from it being the right thing to do, it was practically the right thing to do to make it really transparent where I was. And so everyone could set their expectations. Yeah, that makes total sense. And when you say you're domiciled in Florida, do you have an actual home or just like you're a resident there with like a PO I, box? I, 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 no, I, I rent a room in Florida. So okay. I have some things in Florida. I have a, a, a lease in Florida. Um, now I have a Florida driver's license. You know, my, my mail goes to my home in Florida. And if I, if I need to go back to the US, I, I can be there. But uh, particularly the way COVID's going at the moment, you know, I'm not sure when that's going to be. But yes, I... I I can be in Florida and I have a residence. I have residency in Florida. Gotcha. Awesome. So can you walk us through the process when you, from like when you made the decision to moving to Florida and moving to Grenada and all the things you had sure. to get in order for that to happen? I, I can. 
And one of the reasons I can walk you through that is I sort of had an Excel spreadsheet with all this listed out. Um, yes. I, I, my husband complains that I'm, I am too much of a planner and I complain he doesn't plan enough and there's probably a middle ground where we're both right. But I will say I, I spent a lot of time thinking through all the things I need to do. And one of the things that helped me was that we actually came to Grenada for two months um, last year. So we spent January and February here. And it was really helpful because I'd been to Grenada quite a few times as, as a tourist on vacation, but it's very different to be on vacation than living somewhere. Um, so we were renting an apartment and I was working and we were going to the grocery store and I had to get prescriptions filled. And it, it gave me a taste of what it would like be like to live here. And the things I would have to think about, you know, um, so I, I have um, prescription drugs. How was I going to get my prescriptions? Um, what, I, I, am, I am not 21. I am 53. Uh, I, I needed to take healthcare seriously. You know, what would that look like? How would I deal with healthcare? And so I started to make this list. And what I realized is that, you know, there are some things that I can do very easily from here. There are things that I would need to get done in the US. So I actually can get most prescriptions filled here pretty easily and certainly much more cheaply. But um, I, you know, the Grenadian healthcare system is not fabulous. And I certainly wouldn't want to have any kind of you know, surgery or uh, major illness here. So one of the things I realized was that I had to look into some kind of medevac insurance, which is much cheaper than you'd think it would be. Um, and then I thought about, well, you know, how would I get, you know, if I, if I just had I broke my finger, what would I do? You know, if I had things that weren't serious. And so I started to think through all the medical implications, um, which certainly at my age is something I need to think about. Um, I thought about what, what was I bringing here? What was I not bringing here? Um, I obviously didn't want to ship very much. And a large part of what I spent time doing was throwing things out, giving things away, selling things. But I did bring some things here. And one of the things that cut being here for two months made me realize is that some things are very cheap in Grenada, but anything that gets imported, which is, you know, all electronics and everything like that is incredibly expensive. So I realized, okay, if my Apple phone cable dies, I can't just, you know, get one Amazon in. So what do I need to buy duplicates of and ship over here? So I have multiple Apple cables with me. I have multiple, you know, things like that where I, I didn't want to be, you can buy an Apple cable here, but it would cost me three times as much. So, you know, I had to sort of think through and being here for two months made me realize when something did break, oh God, you know, I'm going to have to replace this here. I wouldn't want to replace my iPhone when I'm here. Um, so, so I started to think through those practicalities. Um, one of the big practicalities was how do I legally live here? Uh, certainly Grenada has, you know, you can get residents in Grenada um, as a foreigner, particularly if you're working, if you're not working in Grenada. Um, but I really realized I, if I was going to live here, I wanted to really have citizenship and be secure here, and which is why my husband and I got married. So one of the things I had to do was get my citizenship in process, which took an inordinate amount of time, but I do now have it. So I'm now a citizen of Grenada. Um, I had to think about banking. Um, what was I going to do about banking? Um, and uh, what I came to realize is that I'm actually buying a home here, so I needed to get a local bank account, but, but banking is very manual here, very antiquated, sort of stuck in the 1990s, if I'm being generous. And so I realized that I still want to do most of my banking out of the US, and I had to think about how do you get money back and forth between bank accounts? 
um, which turns out to be, uh, I see, as far as I can see, the easiest, cheapest way is wire transfers, even though it's not particularly cheap, but it is, it is easy. So, you know, I had to think about um, which of my credit cards are the right ones to use abroad. Do I want to get a Grenadian credit card, which I decided not. Um, you know, how are we going to, I need to get a Grenadian driver's license. How do I do that? And really go through the practicalities of what it means to live somewhere as opposed to be vacationing somewhere. And then think about how is that going to work with my life? So I'll, I'll give you another example. Like everyone else, I watch Netflix. They do have Netflix in Grenada, but they certainly don't have Hulu in Grenada. I have a Hulu account. They have all sorts of shows I watch. Well, you can get VPNs these days. Um, one of the things that I realized when I came here is that one of the reasons you need a VPN is that some things you need to be in the US to do. So I was trying to uh, refill my prescriptions in CVS and CVS knew I was out of the country. It's like, okay, but, but I want to refill it for when I get back in the country. So I VPNed into the US and then I could go into CVS and, and order my prescriptions. And so what I realized is that one of the other things I needed, uh, phone service is something you need to think about. What are you gonna do about phone service? Um, and I, I, I have a phone through work and I can certainly get a local SIM, but how was I gonna call an 800 number back in the US? So I actually got a Skype account that allows me to call into the US. So that if I need to call an 800 number, which I do more than I realized I used to call 800 numbers, but you know, you call, you call um, support from most US companies, it's an 800 number, I can now do it on Skype. So I, I had to think through all these practicalities and being here a couple of months helped me make that list. That's awesome. And like, I, it sounds like an Excel spreadsheet is the only way, cause that's a lot, but, but it's also important to know, like it is a lot. It sounds like a lot, but you were able to figure out and navigate through all of those things, which is the important thing. Like nothing's impossible if you truly want it. Yeah. Particularly in this day and age. I mean, in, I, I don't know how this would have worked 20 years ago or, or, you know, maybe even 10 years ago, but certainly now, you know, even, Grenada, most places have halfway decent Wi-Fi. Um, we, you know, we're doing this conversation over Zoom. Um, it's amazing what you can do online. I mean, I pay, even before I moved to Grenada, I paid all my bills online. Um, so the fact that I'm now paying all my bills online on my phone doesn't really matter. I do my banking on my phone. But I think you do have to think about, you know, if you are not someone who does all your, pays your bills online, how is that going to work? So trying to move as much of your life online at least helps you then lift and shift that life to another country and as long as you can use the vpn or whatever to get into whatever you need to get into um you can you can make it work but but it i will say look not everyone has the luxury of trying somewhere out before you move there but i am really pleased that i did stay here a couple of months before i moved here because it just enabled me to get a sense of the kind of things that i was going to have to think about and and make some kind of provision for. Yeah, that's a great like consideration. If you do have the opportunity to be able to test out a place before making a big yeah. change like that, I think the information you gain from that trip is very valuable. <laughs> awesome. So can you tell us a bit more about what Grenada is like? I know you touched on some things, but how is life there? And do you have any recommendations if someone were to visit Grenada? Grenada is a wonderful place. It really is a beautiful island. It's interesting. It, it's 
one of the lesser known islands, particularly for, for people from the US, it's amazing how often people will call it Granada. And Granada is a place in Spain, not this is Grenada. But people haven't really heard of it. A lot of the tourists here, for whatever reason, are British. I mean, it is in the Commonwealth, but nevertheless, it's like an 11-hour flight from Britain. It's not like it's around the corner. But I think part of the reason Americans don't know it as well is because by Caribbean standards, it's quite a way. I mean, it's almost a five-hour flight from New York. And, you know, when you can get to the DR and Puerto Rico and, you know, some Barts and whatever in an hour or two, Staying on a plane for five hours feels like a long time to the average person. So because of that, it's a bit off the beaten trail, which I love. It's less developed. It's um, very safe. Grenadians are the loveliest, warmest, most friendly people who are very welcoming to tourists. Um, one interesting thing about Grenada is that there's actually an American accredited medical school here, actually medical and vet school called um, St. George's University. And it's actually the biggest employer in Grenada. So because of that, there are a lot of American young people here, which gives rise to the kind of bars and restaurants that you might you know, have if you thought that you were going to have a lot of 20-something-year-olds spending their money, which, I mean, is good and bad because I'm not a 20-something-year-old. But, but it does mean that there are, uh, uh, there are, yeah, there's, there's a brewery bar here. Uh, this is not my kind of scene. But if I were 20 years younger, I would probably go hang out there. It looks like it's a lot of fun. It looks like kind of any brewery bar you'd imagine. I know it's where all of the students go. So um, th there is that social scene. There's also, for people more my age, there is, uh, you know, it's, it's a big yachting community. So something I didn't know until I moved here is that Grenada is one of the few places that insurance companies will pay for yachts to stay during hurricane season because it's off the main hurricane, hurricane path. They don't get very many hurricanes here. So because of that, particularly over the winter, there's a lot of yachts moored here. And so there's all the kinds of restaurants and, and you know, um, things that you'd imagine that a yachting crowd would like. I mean, a, a lot of the re fun restaurants actually sit in and around the marinas. There are lots of different marinas. Uh, so so it's really a, lo a lovely place. It's beautiful. It's it's. I don't know how much you've been to any of these Caribbean islands, but you know, whereas Aruba is a really um, dry climate and a dry, you know, the foliage is desert-like. Grenada is much more rainforest-like. There is a rainforest. It's, it's very rainy here, or it has rainy seasons here. So it's very green, very lush, um, it, you know, fruit falling off the trees. Some of the most beautiful beaches you'll ever see crystal clear water. It, it, is, it is really a lovely place. And it's also not a very big place. I mean, uh, there's about 110,000 people living in Grenada. So it's, it's a pretty small place. Uh, it's amazing how quickly you find. I, I started bumping into people I know, and I've only been living here four months. So if I'm bumping into people I know, <laughs> it's not a big place. Wow. It sounds really awesome. Like it's always it been on the back of my mind, but I've never been. And it sounds incredible. So thank you for sharing all that. I feel very excited it, about it. You should come and visit. It really is a lovely place. Now I will say, and I think this is something that Americans don't really realize. And I say this as someone who lived in America a long time, but I think Europeans as well. You know, we don't realize how relatively easy life is in the US. You know, it's easy to buy things. It's easy to get things done. Banking is easy. You know, I know going to the DMV seems painful, but everything's relative. Um, you know, Grenada is not a rich country. It has 
pretty archaic, extremely manual systems. I mean, it's amazing how often if you want to get something done with the government, you have to print out a piece of paper and go down to the ministry office and wait in line. I, the first time it's happened, I'm like, why can't you just do this online? Because you have to print out a piece of paper and go to the ministry. Um, so imagine doing everything, like being going to the Every, everything ends up being like going to the DMV on the worst possible day. So let's put it that way. Um, so, you know, you, I've definitely had to learn how to slow down a bit and be more patient than I am naturally inclined to be. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I realized that things go at Grenadian speed, at island speed, and that to some extent, I'm, if, if I'm going to enjoy all the wonderful things that Grenada has to offer, I have to make my peace with Grenada time island time and mostly it's okay sometimes they get a little frustrated but mostly it's okay it's worth it it's well, worth yeah. it to live here <laughs> that's such a good point and i'm laughing a little bit because i'm living in mexico right now and there's oh, there you similarities go. So you know. <laughs> yeah. you know exactly what it is yes exactly exactly i'm sure it's very similar issues yep and so it's just how it is and you can make the choice to like let these things bother you or just like well that's how it is here and move on with your life because yeah. if you get upset over li every little thing, it's really not that enjoyable. No, no. Okay, awesome. So you've worked remotely before, like before the pan pandemic, during the pandemic, and now you're working remotely from Grenada. And so are there any differences or do you feel like your previous remote work experience has sort of just prepared you for this change? Well, I think what's different, and it's funny, I was reflecting on this just today where I was on a Zoom call with my client who works for a professional service company, which, you know, up until pretty recently, everyone wore suits all the time. They have become more casual of late, but even so, they are definitely more formal in dress. And I would say that pre-pandemic, when I was on work calls, if I turned my camera on, I felt like I had to, you know, put some makeup on and put like a shirt on from at least the waist up and, you know, try to look professional. But during lockdown, we all became such disgusting slobs that <laughs> now people, now I turn my camera on when I probably wouldn't have in the past because now everybody's wearing sweatshirts and everybody's got their kids screaming in the background and everyone has spouses who walk in the room and just no one can. I think it has normalized. And, and actually, I think this is a good thing. I think it's made us all more comfortable with our humanity in the workplace. I mean, you know, I think the videos that everyone loved during lockdown were the, were the you know, the, the weather forecasters whose cats wandered into the picture and whose kids suddenly wandered into the background. And I think there's a reason we love that. It, it humanized people. And I do feel like if something that we take away from this whole time is why do you need to be wearing a jacket? Well, why do you need to be wearing a jacket and tie period? But certainly why do you need to be sitting on a Zoom call in your own living room wearing a jacket and tie? Um, it's okay, you can wear a t-shirt and I can wear a t-shirt too. Um, I, I think people becoming more comfortable with that has been a good thing. And so the fact that I am sitting here in a tank top, clearly on a sunny day, no one has a problem with, except that they're jealous because it's very cold in New York. <laughs> I love that so much. It's so true. And like, yeah, it's, we really kept like work life and personal life so separate. Yes. I mean, good for good reason for boundaries, but like at the end of the day, we're still humans and we just need to let that shine through. And so I guess, yeah, the pandemic helped push that out as well. So you 
I'm really excited to talk about this. You write a column on how technology is changing the future of work. Can you talk more about that topic and tell us a bit about that? Sure. So I actually, I I contribute to a blog called Three Quarks Alien. I do it um, every other month. And while I have a lot of freedom about what I write about, I actually, because I work for a, a software company and I've been in and around software most of my career, I'm really interested in the sociological aspects of how technology impacts us. So, you know, I've written things about, um, I've written about my Roomba when I had my Roomba. And, you know, um, I I try to ground the things I write in some of my personal experiences of technology. And, you know, um, I, I, I wrote a column about how, you know, I dropped my phone down the toilet as so many of us have and and what that made me reflect on my dependence on technology um and and so i i really find it interesting to look at this intersection of tech i mean technology is so pervasive in all our lives even the most technophobic people and my uncle who is i love dearly but he is such a luddite and such a technophobe you know he he still uses a flip phone um but he uses a flip phone. He uses a computer. He's during lockdown. He was on house party so he could talk to his partner and talk to me. And even he uses technology. So I, so I think looking at the ways and, and reflecting on both the good and the bad of how technology impacts all our lives all the time um, is, is a worthwhile thing for us to do. I, th- I think, you know, just blindly consuming technology without thinking about it isn't necessarily the wisest thing. Definitely. And do you have any thoughts on the future of work? I mean, we've already experienced a lot of change over the past couple of years. Do you foresee further changes? I really do, actually. And you know, part of the reason that my co-writer and co-host Catherine and I wrote the impromptu game plan and do the podcast is we started talking about the future of work. And, and the company that I work for um, does automation software, uh, robotic process automation. And yeah, there has been talk for a long, long time about, you know, technologies coming and taking our jobs and everything's going to be automated. And I do think what is actually going to happen, and it's probably already happening, is that what gets automated is the manual, repetitive, boring stuff that computers can do better than us. They can do better than us because they can do it quicker. They can do it more accurately. They can do it 24-7. They never get a six day. You know, why wouldn't you want a computer doing that? But at least for now, things that computers don't do as well as people or can't do at all are the things that are the most human of us. So things around creativity and empathy and communication. Um, And I do think that the future of work for a lot of people will be going back to those more human roles with computers doing the things that none of us much enjoy doing anyway. I mean, whoever enjoyed doing their expenses and doing invoice processing, uh, you know, I think the world's a better place and no one ever has to do that again. Now, there is a good question which is is there enough of that other kind of work for people to do but one of the things that I think is I mean I I always go back to the idea of the spreadsheet so when I was a kid my father had a piece of paper and a ruler and a pencil and an eraser and he did spreadsheets like that I mean that really ages me I sound like I'm sort of from the Victorian times but it wasn't that long ago and then Microsoft Excel, actually it wasn't even Microsoft Excel, it was Lotus 123 back in the day, came along and automated all this. 
But what do you know? It didn't put a whole load of people out of work. It suddenly meant people could do spreadsheets so much more easily and quickly and didn't have to be sitting there with erasers and double checking their math because Excel did the math for them. And what it did was raise the kind of value added work that people could do and they no longer had to spend all their time doing that kind of drudgery. So I do think that technology for the most part, uh, you know, I don't think anybody misses working in the cotton mills. You know, when the industrial revolution came and the cotton mills were industrialized, the original Luddites, you know, we thought this was the worst thing in the world, but those jobs were awful jobs. They were awful jobs. They were dangerous jobs. People got sick and died because of those jobs. I think humanity generally does better when technology takes those lower level jobs away from us and allows us to focus on the things that we are better at and that we enjoy more and that deliver more value to our companies and to society. Absolutely. So interesting. Like, I think this topic is so fascinating. That, yeah, so do I. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it on here. And so what tips do you have for someone who might be interested in this digital nomad lifestyle for the first time? Well, first I would say, I, I think there's something to be said for just, even if you're not going to go and live in the place that you eventually move to, living abroad for a bit. And what's interesting is that one of the things that happened during lockdown was that some countries, including some Caribbean countries, though I'm not sure Grenada, at least not one of the original ones, actually said to American workers, come live here for a year. Uh, I think the Bahamas was one of them. They're like, as long as you're not taking a job from a local, come live here, we'll give you a visa, you can work remotely. And I think, you know, a fair number of people did that. And I think there's something to be said for if you have a job that in theory you could do from anywhere and more and more jobs are becoming like that, saying, well, okay, why don't I go and live somewhere for a couple of months and see how how well I do with that? You know, and what, what I would need to think of it. Yeah, one of the things is, you know, where are your family? Um, where are your friends? What does it mean to that? I mean, I've had to move here and make some new friends. I mean, luckily my husband has family here, so I already had some people. Um, and for me, uh, one of my daughters just went to college in the UK, so she left the US anyway. But, you know, there is something to be, you know, to think about in terms of what does it mean to totally uproot myself? Do I want to do it permanently? Do I want to do it part of the year? Am I just doing it for six months? And give it a try. And then start thinking through, do you have the right job? I and mean, if you love the lifestyle, but your job doesn't support it, maybe the answer is to get a different job. There are certainly enough companies these days that are supporting remote work that this is possible. But then another thing, and I mean, I, I'm sure not everyone listening is from the US, but you do need to do a little bit of research as to what it means from a residency and tax perspective where you live. I mean, unless you either give up your US residency, uh, uh, give up your US citizenship, or I think you prove that you're out of the country, something like 340 days a year, I mean, it's a lot then you owe federal taxes. So you need to think about, well, if I'm gonna owe federal taxes, do I still want to pay state taxes and where makes sense to be domiciled? Um, you know, New York is a, is a very expensive place. Do I still wanna keep my residency in New York and pay New York taxes if I'm not living there? Maybe not. So, you know, thinking through those things and doing a bit of research as to what it means and um, what you are liable on, and, and what you do have to do and don't have to do is something that's worth doing, particularly if you want to do this for more than six months. Yeah, those are great tips. And definitely like something I don't think is talked about enough, actually. So there are tax implications and I'm by no means an expert on that, but it really is important to do your research. So 
you are familiar with your own situation. And so you're not yeah. making costly mistakes down the road. Exactly. Look, I talked to an accountant. That's something that's probably worth doing. Talk to an accountant if, if you're unsure. Um, and also think about, you know, it, it's easy to say, sure, okay, I'll be out of the States 340 days. That's a lot. I mean, that means, and that, that doesn't include travel time. So, you know, if you're really never going to come back to the US to do anything, that's one thing. But if not, you need to think through the tax implications of wherever the United States considers you living um, and do it a little bit more mindfully than just sort of picking up one day and saying, yeah, it's fine, because it's probably not. Exactly. And like that rule, I was going to, I was going to try for it this year, but it's just like, it doesn't, like you said, doesn't include travel time. If you're on a boat in international waters, those days don't count. And like, it's just, it's too difficult. So for me, it's not worth it. (laughs) I want to be able to go back to the U S if I want to, for as long as I want to. So, and I, I very much wanted to make sure that I kept my U S healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think I'd give up my citizenship for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is that, which is, you know, I, I actually did buy medevac insurance. And so I can be flown back to the, to Florida. Um, I paid a little bit more to be flown to Florida and not to the nearest place because the nearest place is Venezuela and I didn't want healthcare there either. Um, but you know, in order to keep my U S healthcare, I have to be a U S employee and be a U S citizen. So, you know, don't, do things that are going to box you into situations that you didn't really think about that then become difficult to get out of. That's a great point. Yeah. You kind of really have to envision the big picture. And so there's no harm in like giving something a try before actually making a big commitment. No, absolutely. And and I think everyone should, I don't think anybody should just, uh, you know, up and move without ever having even, you know, been anywhere is more than a vacation because places when you're on vacation it's very different than living somewhere thinking i mean i'll give you another example you know grenadian grocery stores do not have everything that u.s grocery stores have and sometimes they have them but they're really expensive i've had to sort of think about okay you know what do i really care about buying is there anything i want to bring with me what am i going to change about my diet because i can't get these things here you know living somewhere is different than just being on a all-inclusive vacation for 10 days absolutely great points Well, Sarah, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm so happy you came on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Um, If people want to learn more about you, where can they find more about you online? So um, I'm on LinkedIn, S. Ferrison on LinkedIn. Um, I also have theimpromptugameplan.com, which is the book and our podcast. And you can certainly contact us through that. Um, And I'm on Twitter, on Instagram, all the usual places. There aren't very many furisons, so I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> Perfect. Good to know. And we will link that all in the show notes to make Wonderful. it easier. And so do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share before we close this episode out? I actually do. Despite everything I've said about how, you know, you have to do your planning and do your homework. This is a wonderful thing to do. And it always amazes me that more people don't consider doing this. I mean, you're in Mexico, so you get this. You know, I think most people not most people, a lot of people have lives that are more mobile than they give credit for. And they could do this. They could have more of an adventure, more of a a global adventure than they perhaps initially think they can. And, you know, I told my company, they're like, we don't care. And, you know, the question is, would your company care? And if they didn't care, where might you go and live for six months? Um, It's something I think more people should 
consider and try. If nothing else, world travel is a wonderful way to expand your mind and your horizons and everyone should spend some time living somewhere else. It gives you a whole new perspective. Absolutely. Love it. Those are perfect closing remarks. So Sarah, again, thank you so much. Everyone who tuned My in. My pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I will catch everyone on the next episode. Have a Wonderful. good Wonderful. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Before you go, if you believe remote work is your path to more travel, but feel overwhelmed trying to find a job that will allow you the freedom you so desire, I've got you. The doors to my mini course, Remote Work and How to Find It, are now open. We cover everything from determining what kind of jobs will best suit your lifestyle, where to find these jobs, how to craft your resume and cover letter for success, and tips and tricks to succeed in the digital nomad lifestyle. You'll also gain access to a private Facebook group so you can have support in each step of your journey. Enroll now at travelshifters.com slash remote dash work or click the link in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in to the Travel Possibilities podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so thankful for your positive review on Apple Podcasts so I can keep the episodes coming. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra tips and travel inspiration on Instagram by following me at the travel shifters or by visiting my website at travelshifters.com. Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.